aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason you need to do that now. If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're 6'5". If you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, like, that's wrong to believe in it, because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six-foot-five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six-foot-five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you're six foot five or Chinese or a woman. Preston, the truth is there is no truth. That were some of the words that were told to me by a high school student when I was a summer youth group intern my sophomore year of college. The next year, my junior year of college, I went into my philosophy class and Charlie Bush was my professor. And Charlie Bush was this great guy. At the end of every class, he would tell us, class, it's a sunny 76 degrees outside in beautiful Russellville, Arkansas. Go home and have yourself a nice slice of pie. 
Every class, go home and eat some pie. And Dr. Bush, the very first day of class, he blew our minds. These unsuspecting you know, college students, we walk in and he points at the chalkboard and says, how do you know that this chalkboard is really here? I mean, how do you, how do you really know that in reality that this chalkboard really is here? And he began to unpack Immanuel Kant and, you know, the, his theory of philosophy that you, you can't really know reality because you're, thank you for that, that laugh. Uh, I'm getting closer to 30, and I'm, I was told that that soon will be a dad joke. But, um, yeah, so you can't really know reality because your perception can't be fully trusted, right? A couple weeks ago, I went to uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. I went to hang out with my wife, uh, Meg's family. And her mom works in education, so she teaches teachers. And she was talking about a local school district. And she said, yeah, you know, one of the interesting things going on in our, our school right now is furries. Have you guys heard of this? Nod your head up and down. Yeah, yeah, so you're familiar. So if you're not, I had never heard of this. But apparently, it's a, it's a trend now, I guess. I don't know. But it's, it's where people are saying, I'm a cat. And I need a litter box at the school. Yes, yes, this is actually a for real thing. And so she was telling me, I was mind blown, and she said that the principal told one of the girls, he said, look, if you want to call yourself a cat, you know, we can't stop you. You can call yourself a cat, but if you start licking yourself around here. (laughs) What I've seen in the last few years of my life is that I'm a person that believes in absolute truth. I believe that there is truth, and it's outside of me, and I can discover it. And yet I'm surrounded by people that believe that there is no absolute truth, that truth is relative. It's not something outside of us to be discovered. It's something inside of us to be decided. Whatever I feel, whatever you feel, that's your truth. Live Your Truth has like 400,000 hashtags on Instagram. I'm sure you've heard people say that before. I I think if we could go around the room, like if if we had the time, you could say, yeah, I'm seeing this play out in my life, that there's people all around me saying truth really doesn't exist. So whether it's, hey, call yourself whatever pronouns you want, live however you want sexually, anybody should be able to have a bathroom, you can be a cat, whoever can play whatever sports, all of these different issues, they're issues of truth. And how do we perceive truth? How do we know truth? What is reality? In fact, this is not just a, a, a small thing. This is a deeply held belief in the cultural imagination that we have. Uh, in 1992, uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy uh, in uh, Casey, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, he said that at the heart of liberty, at the heart of liberty, is the right to decide one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the mystery of human life. Did you know that? That you as an American, freedom, what it means to be free, is you get to decide reality. You get to decide your own reality. You get to have your own definition of reality. That video that we just watched, that, that was from 2016. At the University of Washington. When I saw that in 2016, I thought, this is absolutely wild. I've never seen anybody talk this way. But now it's normal. 
Do you know the uh, Oxford Dictionary's word of the year for 2016? Does anybody know? Yell it out if you do. It's a compound word. Post-truth. Post-truth. It's not post as, you know, typically we think of it as an after-truth. It's post as in something's irrelevant. In other words, we're living in an era in which objective facts they're not relevant for shaping our culture's way of thinking and doing things. Feelings are most important. Feelings over facts. That's the time we're living in. And so here's the, the tension. I think you've felt this before, I'm sure. The tension is, if, and I know everybody in the room, everybody watching online, might not claim to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, we're, That would be a huge difference. But if you say, I am a follower of Jesus you make yourself a part of a historic faith, which means you don't just get to decide what Christianity is. It's been something for a long time. You step into it. And so the tension that you and I face if we do claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we believe in absolute truth, and yet we've got a decision to make. When the pressure of the culture starts to cave in around us, are we going to hold to truth and say, no, there is absolute truth? We're going to believe this, even if we're ostracized, even if we're hated, even if people say you're arrogant to think that you could know the truth. You're either going to do that as a Christian, or you're going to abandon it altogether and say, you know what, I'm going to deconstruct my faith, and which just, I don't understand, it just means to think critically. I mean, it, is, is this a new thing? Like, oh, we're thinking critically now about our fa- uh, Anyways, so you can just say, oh, I reject it. I've reconsidered and I've come to this conclusion. I don't want Jesus or truth. And I don't think for a lot of us that's actually the issue. I think for a lot of people like you and me, there's actually a third way, and it's much more prevalent, and it's much, uh, it should be more concerning to you. And it's this, it's not that you would totally reject the teachings of Jesus, it's that you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I stake my life on Jesus, I love Jesus, and let me take a little bit of moral relativity, let me take this from the culture, that from the culture, and I'm just going to mix up my own concoction of beliefs. It's called syncretism. That is what's, uh, that's what you should be concerned about. That's what's happening in many churches today. That's what is happening in the lives of many Christians today. Let's just take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of what everyone else at the moment is saying is right and mix it up. And so it's my belief, if that is the case, we've got to have a rock-solid biblical basis for this question. Here's the question. Why does truth matter? Why does truth matter? See, if you don't have a rock-solid reason to believe that truth is something we must hold on to, well, then you'll say, oh, well, people are saying we're dumb. Oh, well, we can love them. We can st- I'm still a Christian, but we don't have to hold on to our view of sexuality. We don't have to hold on to our view of what it means to be a human being. We, you know, do we have to? But if you do have a belief, if you do have a conviction, no, no matter what people say, no matter what people do, we have to cling to truth. You can withstand anything. You can get through the moment. So we've got to answer this question. Why does truth matter? 
And I'm not the person to answer it. I'm going to be honest. This is above my pay grade. We should not listen to what I have to say about it. Uh, We're not going to listen to philosophers of our day. We need to listen to what Jesus Christ himself has to say about it. And so there actually was a time in the life of Jesus where he explicitly told people why truth matters. So if you've got a Bible, would you please open with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, if you've got your paper Bible or your Bible app, if you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We'll have the verses on the screen. So what are we reading? Let's talk about the context before we jump into it. So the gospel according to John, it's an account of the life of Jesus. It's kind of like a biography. And it was written by a guy named John, who is one of the three closest followers of Jesus. He was actually what was referred to as a pillar in the church. He was an influential leader in the church. And he was also the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was very close to Jesus. And John's purpose in writing this biography of the life of Jesus, he actually explicitly stated it at the very end of it. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, I wrote this, these signs, these teachings of Jesus, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life. John wrote this so that people like you and me would read about Jesus, believe he is the Son of God, and we could experience life, abundant life. That's what John wanted. And so he went about uh, documenting who Jesus was uh, by doing two major things. He documented the teachings of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus, what Jesus said and what Jesus did. So for example, Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, a lot of people say, oh, I like Jesus, I'm cool with Jesus, not the church. And then it's like, wait, do you actually know what Jesus taught? (laughs) Because I don't know that you would like Jesus as much. Um, But Jesus taught things like, I've come from heaven. I've been sent by God the Father to this earth. The things I say and do, the Father has told me, and you must all be born again. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And the decision, Jesus said, this is what he taught, is what you do with me, is what you believe about me, Jesus said. People either believe in Jesus and receive everlasting life, or in the words of Jesus, you won't believe in me and you will die in your sins. That is what Jesus taught. But it's not only what Jesus taught that John documented, but it's also what he did, his miracles. And up to this point, seven chapters so far in the gospel according to John, Jesus has done incredible things. He showed up to a party, they ran out of wine, and so Jesus got some water, and he turned it into wine, turned water to wine. And it was actually even better wine than the first wine. Some of you getting a little too excited about that, okay? But yes, Jesus turned water to wine. Jesus also healed a nobleman's son. He didn't just walk up to him and touch him and say, be healed. No, he actually did a long-distance healing. He just said the word, be healed, and from a distance, this guy's son was healed. He also walked up to a man who uh, hadn't been able to walk for 38 years, and he caused him to get up and to walk. Jesus took five loaves of bread, five measly little loaves, and two fish, and he multiplied them so much so that he fed 5,000 men plus women and children, probably roughly 10, 12 plus thousand people, who knows. And Jesus, to top it all off, walked on water. (laughs) Jesus said and did things that nobody else in human history has ever said or done. So we're going to pick up this story of Jesus, John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Why does truth matter? Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, 
If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus looked at these Jewish people who had started to listen and believe what he was saying, and he said, guys, look, it's great that you're believing these things that I'm saying, but you've got to continue. You've got to not just hear it and accept it now, but you've got to live this out in an ongoing way. And if you do, Jesus said, if you do that, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus told these Jewish people, there is truth, you can know it, through me, and the truth will set you free. And guys, I don't know if you know this or not, or if you're here or watching online, Jesus extends the same offer to you. Jesus has open arms and is saying, hey, look, if you will listen to me, if you will believe what I say about reality, what I say about life, if you'll live and submit your life to my teachings, you can know truth, and the truth can set you free. I don't know how that sounds to you this morning, but to the Jews who were listening, they actually didn't really like what Jesus said. The Jews who had started to believe were now resisting. Verse 33, we're descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? So Jesus told these guys, hey, look, you, you can know the truth if you'll listen to my teachings, if you'll submit your life to my teachings. And and the truth will set you free. And they said, Jesus, become free. We are free. We've always been free. We're the descendant of the chosen guy, Abraham. Which is funny because they actually were enslaved for many, many years, as most of you would think, like in Egypt for 430 years. The Syrians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians took them all into captivity. So this didn't even make sense. We've never been slaves to anyone. <laughs> They said, Jesus, we are the descendants of the chosen God. We're the people of God. They didn't like this. They didn't like that Jesus said that they weren't free. And it's easy to hear the Jewish people then say that and, and say, oh, look at them. But, but you and I, people in our day, Americans, we do the same thing. See, there might be someone here today who thinks, the Jesus, the teachings of Jesus will help me to know truth and his truth will set me free? What do you mean that I will become free? I was born in the United States of America, the land of the free. I've always been free. What do you mean I've never been a slave? So Jesus has to connect the dots for these Jewish people. Verse 34, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, whew, you really will be free. Jesus looks at this group of Jewish people and says, Look, you guys, you think you're free. And politically, Maybe you're right, although even that wasn't true because Rome occupied their land at the time, so they weren't right at all. He said, guys, look, you are slaves. You don't even realize it, but you're slaves. Why? Because you've committed sin, and whoever sins, in other words, whoever disobeys God, whoever breaks his law, whoever misses the mark and falls short, they are a slave to sin. In other words, Jesus told them, you think that you are free to do whatever you want, but really the desires, the cravings of your human nature, they dominate you, they control you, they master you. 
And it's the same for you and me today. Many of us would think, I don't need the truth of Jesus. I got my truth. I'm free. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That craving, that longing that you have as an American for freedom, it actually isn't even fulfilled in how you structure your government, how you do politics. That, that desire that you have for freedom, it can only come when a person submits themselves to the teachings of Jesus. So the reality is, most people in America are slaves. You getting this? Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to sin, meaning most people in America don't submit themselves to the teachings of Jesus. Everyone in America has sinned. Therefore, the sinful desires and urges of their flesh, their human nature, they cause them to think certain thoughts. It causes them to want certain things. It causes them to speak in a certain way or to act and treat people a certain way. Why is there so much evil and chaos and terrible things that happen all around us and inside of us? Because we're slaves to sin apart from Jesus. But, Jesus told them, if the Son sets you free, <laughs> then you really will be free. There is freedom available to you and to me. But why does truth matter? Why does truth matter to you and to me today? In 2022, why does truth matter? Uh, if you have fallen asleep at this point, please wake up. Here's the, here's the bottom line. Here's the sermon in a sense. Here's the one thing. If you're taking notes, write this one thing down. Here is why truth matters. Truth sets people free. Why does truth matter? Truth sets people free. You've got to believe this. <laughs> Apart from the truth of Jesus Christ, we're slaves. We live with anger, perverse speech, hatred of other people. There's terrible things inside of us. If you don't agree with that, man, if I could just get a, a DVD somehow inserted in your heart and then we just showed the top 10 worst thoughts you've ever had, you would never come back to new life. You know this. You know this to be true. The things that I've thought and done, oh my gosh. Without the truth of Jesus, we're all slaves to sin. But with the truth of Jesus, if we believe and submit our lives according to his teachings, you and I, we can live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You actually can be most free when you submit yourself to the truth of Jesus. Not your truth, his truth. See, no, no truth, no freedom. But if you know truth, you can know freedom. This is not just taught in John 8. This is all throughout the Bible. Romans 6, 17. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. This is Paul talking to Christians in Rome. Now you are free from your slavery to sin. Galatians 4, 3-7. Before Christ came, we were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Not only were we slaves to the sinful desires of our human nature, Paul's even saying that we can become slaves to religion 
slaves to the law in the case of the Jews specifically. He sent Jesus to free us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. <laughs> Truth sets people free. If you would, would you just close your eyes with me? I want you to picture the freeing power of truth. Envision in your mind a plantation, and there's enslaved people. They're forced into back-breaking labor in the blistering heat. They're in chains, so they can't escape. They feel hopeless, stuck, dehumanized. One day, as they're working, an army rides up over the hill. <laughs> and that vast army comes right up to the slave master. And the commander steps down off of his horse. And he looks at the slave master eye to eye and says the war is over set them free chains fall arms are raised in victory tears stream down their faces families embrace one another people are running through the fields and they lift up their voice and sing free at last free at last thank god almighty we're free at last that's the picture of what truth can do for you that's the picture of the reality of the teachings of Jesus when you submit your life to Him. Apart from them, you are a slave. You can't actually do the good you want to do. I can't do the good I want to do. But the moment that Jesus comes into the picture, <laughs> Jesus can free you up. It's possible. Truth sets people free. Now, some of you, you're totally on board, you're tracking with me, you're like, Preston, I believe this, and I've believed this for much longer than you've been alive, you know, and that's great, that's awesome. Some of you, you might have questions, you might have objections, or maybe even some of you, you believe it, but you love people who have questions and objections. Why should we really believe that what Jesus said is true? See, I think one thought that comes up for a lot of people is, wait, 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 wait. Okay, you're a religious guy, and I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> what you're trying to do is you're trying to get me to become a slave to your religion. If I was to submit my life to the teachings of Jesus, I wouldn't become free. I would be enslaved to Christianity. A couple weeks ago, uh, I mentioned to you guys this team of uh, landscape architects and the study of the two playgrounds, one with a fence, one without a fence, and how what they found is that a playground with a fence actually leads to more freedom, more creativity. Not just the wide open, hey, do whatever you want. No, kids just huddle together. You might picture the same truth with the banks of a river. No one's looked at a river and thought, oh, those banks, they're just so restricting. 
It just totally, you know, limits the potential of the river. No. No one's looked at a football game and thought, oh, the lines on the field, oh my, every 10 yards, all these lines, these, no, just let them play, just open it up, just, no, the lines make the game. I think I said this other way too, like, no one's driving home today and thinking, just these lines on the interstate, I just, I hate these, these categories and these lines and these boundaries. No, it helps traffic flow better, right? We can see it all around us. What we tend to think is that we will be most free if we get rid of all boundaries. If I can just live however I want. That's what people in our culture say. It's not the removal of all boundaries that gives you freedom. It's the presence of the right boundaries. When you have the boundaries that were designed for you, that's when you flourish. No one would look at a fish and say, man, the fish would just, it would flourish if it was on the land. I hate that it's just stuck and trapped in the, the water. No, it's made to swim. It's made for the water. You were made for the truth of Jesus. Some of you might think, well, <laughs> Preston, that, you know, that's great that you're so convicted. But how can we trust your conviction? Because what about the Jews? What about Muslims? What about Hindu people? They're all equally as convicted that their religion's true. So why should we listen to you? Raise your hand if you've ever heard the parable of the blind man and the elephant. Anybody heard this before? Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. A couple people, great. So there's this parable where there's a couple blind men, and they've never, never seen or felt an elephant, and they've wanted to so bad. And so one day, uh, they get to go see an elephant, and they walk up to it, and each of the blind men touches one part, one body part of the elephant. So one guy, he touches the, the midsection, the torso of the elephant, and he's like, oh, an elephant is like a brick wall. There was another guy who touched the back leg of the elephant and said, oh, wow, an elephant's like a big cow. Another guy who touched the tail of the elephant said, oh, an elephant, it's just like a rope. Another guy touched the ear of the elephant and said, oh, it's like a big carpet. An elephant's like a big carpet. Another guy touched the trunk of the elephant and said, oh, elephant's like a snake. And then finally, one guy touched the tusk of the elephant and said, oh, an elephant's sharp like a spear. And each one of them, they touched the elephant and they came together and they just were so excited. They said, man, did you feel the elephant? Yes. I can't believe we finally got to experience it. And they said, oh, yes. And the first guy was like, man, I was just so shocked that an elephant is like a brick wall. And then the other guys looked, you know, they're like, wait, what? And then the guy said, it's not like a brick wall. It's like a rope. And the other guy says, no, it's not. It's like a spear. And next thing you know, they're shouting. Their voices are raising. And they start fighting each other. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. No, I'm right. The point of the parable is that people make claims about absolute truth from their subjective, limited perception of reality. So how can you be so confident that you have truth? What would you say to that? You don't have to answer out loud, but just think. I mean, really, what would you say if you're sitting at coffee with somebody and they say, hey, look, I know you're a Christian. I'm concerned for you. You shouldn't be so confident that you have the claim to absolute truth, and here's why. How would you respond? 
That's pretty compelling, isn't it? One way that you could respond is you could say, well, it is interesting that the point of what you just told me is that no one can see it all, that no one can have the absolute truth, that each one has a a part, and if we come together, maybe we could see the truth. And yet, aren't you telling me that you see it all? Aren't you telling me that, that you're not blind? You step back and you see every other person. You see the Jew and the Christian and the Muslim, and they're feeling around for truth, and really you see it for what it is. The truth is, you can't know the truth. Aren't you doing the very thing you're telling me I shouldn't do? Do you get what I'm saying? Nod your head if you're tracking with me. There's a book that's, that makes the same point by Frank Turek. He's an apologist called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's a, it's a really good book. I'd recommend it. And he, he does the same thing. He, he says, you know, you need to take the claim that people make and you need to apply it on itself. So, for example, when that high school student, Landry, said to me, Preston, the truth is, there is no truth. What would you have said to him? You can say it out loud. What would you have asked him? Yes, you could say that. You could just say, so you take the claim, apply it on itself. You could say, is that true? If someone says, well, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. You could ask them, is that true for everybody? If someone says, the only truth there is is in science. You could say, is that a scientific claim? No, it's philosophical. If someone says, you should doubt everything, should I doubt that? You can't possibly know reality, Immanuel Kant saying. How do you know that that's reality? You shouldn't judge anybody. Isn't that a judgment? All of these claims that are very typical are self-defeating statements. People are sitting on a branch and they sawed the own limb, limb off that they're sitting on. It doesn't even make sense when you put it up against itself. Last argument that I'll make. Some of you might say, well, Preston, I believe that there is absolute truth in empirical things. So, for example, when the guy in the video says, am I, what if I told you I'm six foot five? You might say, well, okay, there actually is, you know, (laughs) truth when it comes to a person's height. Something we can measure, right? But I don't believe there's absolute truth when it comes to moral things or religious things. You might make that distinction. Uh, I need audience participation for this one. Could you raise your hand if you believe racism is wrong? Okay, good. Everybody raise their hand. All right. (laughs) Racism is wrong. We all believe that, right? Okay. So if I'm talking to this person and they say, I don't believe when it comes to morality that there is absolute truth, you'd ask them, do you think racism is wrong? And they would obviously say yes. And then you could say, do you think that it's wrong for all people in all places across all time? And they would say yes. And you would say, then you believe in absolute moral truth. See, if they believed that moral truths were relative, 
then here's what they're saying they believe could happen. Someone could say, well, I feel racist. And for me, that's my truth. So I'm going to be racist towards certain people because that's what I feel. No, no one believes that. I don't believe that. You don't believe that. Why? Because we all know. We know it's wrong. And I would press it even further and then say, where do you get the basis that it's wrong? See, Christians, we have a belief that God created people in his image. That to be racist is wrong because humans are created in the image of God. If you don't believe in God, we're just primordial soup that have evolved from, you know, a glob into a monkey into a human. What does it matter? I'm going to die and that's it anyway. So there's no basis to say racism is wrong. Anyways, I'm going to digress from the argument. Okay, whew. Truth sets people free. There is truth. You can know it. It's found in the teachings of Jesus and in the person of Jesus. And so what I'm asking you to do today is to reject the lies of our age. Reject the notion that your truth is just whatever you feel and you can come up with whatever you want, however you want. As long as it doesn't bother me, as long as it doesn't hurt people or hinder society, first of all, who gets to decide what is hurting people and hindering society? Reject all of it. I'm not saying, <laughs> there's a lot of things I'm not saying. Don't, I'm not saying that gives you the right to be, you know, hateful. Um, obviously, you know, all the things that we should be doing as Christians, right? I'm not saying that's good, and I'll go do that. No, I'm saying stand firm. Hold to the truth. Cling to it. Even if it costs you. Even if people ostracize you, even if you're not included in that group, even if it might not land you the job, you have got to hold to truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. So I want to give you about a minute or so to just reflect. I want to give you some space to think, okay, two questions. Answer these two questions. What is God saying to me? Through John chapter 8, maybe an impression of the Holy Spirit, maybe through something I said, maybe just your own thoughts. What is God saying to me? And how am I going to obey Him? So take a second right now, think on it, pray on it, listen to the Holy Spirit.
Jesus told those Jews on that day that his truth would set them free. He went on to have conversations with his disciples. In one of those conversations, he told them, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus actually claimed that he is the truth. And as he was betrayed and brought before Pontius Pilate, Jesus told Pilate, he said, I was born for this reason. I came into the world for this purpose, to testify to the truth. So Jesus was so convicted about truth that he went to the cross for you. He died in your place so that you could come into a relationship with God so that you could be forgiven and given the Holy Spirit and given the gift of eternal life. Jesus actually became a slave so that you could become free. Jesus, who was in heaven with the Father, gave up the freedom of heaven to become a human on the earth. And not just become a human, become a slave to lower himself, to wash his disciples' feet, to ultimately go to the cross and die. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, when it gets hard, when it's costly to believe in the truth, you don't fall back on arguments. You don't fall back on philosophy. Although we have all that stuff, you fall back on a person on a crucified Messiah, Jesus Christ, who died testifying to the truth. That's who we worship, Jesus Christ, the truth. And his truth can set you free. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, we've got a prayer banner at the back of the room. Um, during the next song, I'll be over there at the end of service, we'll have pe people over there. We would love to help you take the step of trusting Jesus and beginning to follow Jesus. Today, you don't have to be a slave anymore. You can become free. You can live the life that Jesus has intended you to live. Why does truth matter? Truth sets people free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his life his death, his resurrection, Lord. Thank you that we're free. God, that those of us who've put our faith in him, that we can, we can know you. We can be cleansed of all our sin. Lord, we can have the power through the Holy Spirit to live a new life, to think new thoughts. And God, we don't have to be burdened by religion by the law. God, you've set us free in the power of the Spirit. Thank you. Lord, thank you for your presence here this morning. We believe where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.